God, we thank you for this this evening. I thank you for these men and women who are journeying in the book of 1 Samuel tonight. And Lord, I've, I've talked to people this week who have never read the book of 1 Samuel, have no idea this text and what we're going through. And Lord, we, we have the honor tonight of, of studying two chapters that they seem so similar. And we're going to see faith in action. We're going to see what David does and, and what he doesn't do. And I just pray, God, that that challenges, challenges us and encourages us. I thank you for this evening, and I pray that um, by your grace, this whole internet Zoom connection will just be just fine, and we'll all be able to uh, have a nice class. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So let me get the chat screen here just a little bit so I can see. Okay. So if you have, once again, if you have a question as we go through the text, uh, please send me uh, send me a message so I will be able to see it and uh, I should be able to comment uh, live here. So last week, we, the question we asked, we were in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, and we asked this question, where do you turn? And when, when troubling times happen, where do you turn? Where, where, where's the, well, Dan David, we found he, he turned to God. He, he went to uh, God's house and he found hope in his faith, his child, his, his, the faith of his childhood. And so today, our second question is, what choice do you make? What choices do you make? And we have, just like last week, we had a couple Psalms from that time period. We've got it again this week. Our Psalms this week are in Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. So we're going to open with a Psalm 57 reference here. Here we go. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Amen. So we're going to be in uh, chapter 24 and chapter 26. And next week, we, uh, our goal is, I believe we're going to be in chapter 25. And I, I broke it up that way because 24 and 26 have a similar, have kind of a similar plot. And so, but 25 uh, does play a lot into 26, and we'll get there. But we're in, we're in chapter 24, and uh, as you look at the page here, situation, confrontation, response, and I repeat it down here. So the similar idea here. So chapter 24, 1 to 7. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Have that be a fun Google image search for you. I found some shots earlier of uh, the desert of En Gedi and some mountains and some caves. And he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. The text literally says he went in to cover his feet. Let me admit more people here, okay. And so he went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were far back in the cave. Okay, I got to get rid of this. Hold on a second. Okay, more people are joining. I'm just making sure they can come in. Okay, good. And behold, David and his men were far back in the cave. Must have been one heck of a cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And by the way, I, I, I was scouring the Old Testament. That doesn't exist. God never says that. And at least we don't have record of that. 
So these are the, his men here coming up with something here. And uh, I will give your enemy. And so then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So our situation here, uh, Saul's spies informed on David and Saul took an army. He's got uh, 3,000 uh, able young men, which I guess guys who are just ready and willing to go fight. And he has, he has some spies. And so we're not surprised by that. Saul is a, is, a, is a man who has, he's got some emotional issues and he's very much not really sure of himself at this point in his life. And he's very, uh, he, he's kind of a vulnerable guy. And he, so he's got spies. And so uh, Saul just happened to wander into the right location to cover his feet. Of all the caves, what's the old line of all the gin joints? But of all the caves that, that Saul could have wandered into to go and uh, take care of business, he happens to wander in the, in the cave where David and his boys are in the back. And that's, that's, that reminds me of, 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 of Ruth just happening to wander into Boaz's field. There's the, there's the, 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 the just happening here. And so Saul just happened to wander to the right location to cover his feet. Number three, David's men interpreted the situation theologically. So they looked at this and said, see, God, see, God has your back too, because God's telling you, you can get him now. Here he is. God brought him here. Take care of business. So David's man looked at the situation and said, yeah, we sometimes do this when we say, oh, that was a God thing, or boy, that was a great divine moment, or one of those divine coincidences or something like that. We, we look at our situations and we, we, we interpret it theologically. Well, David's men here, these kind of rough and tumble guys of his that were the broken dudes that God brought to him in that cave, they interpreted this theologically and they're like, oh yeah, now's the time. But David made a choice. And so David's struggle reveals his priorities. And he struggles here. And he, his, his struggle doesn't last for very long because the guys are right in the sense that he's right here and we can get him. This could be done right now. He's got his pants down, as it were, or his robe down. He's, 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 he'll never be more vulnerable until right now, and we have him. And if this were like an army movie, the, the, the sniper would say, I've got him in, in my sights. Can I, can I, do I have the kill order? Something like that. This is one of those moments, and David makes a call. And that call was no. But he does do one thing. He cuts off a portion of the robe. He probably has a knife. He somehow cuts off a portion of the robe. And I wanted to give you a word uh, about, about the robe. This is, not, this is not something that an original reader would have glossed over. Because we read this and go, okay, David, I get it. You feel bad about, you know, bringing a knife anywhere near him, but why are you so conscience-stricken? The text says that David was, was kind of conscience-stricken, like he's freaking out because he cut the guy's robe. And we're thinking, David, you could have cut his neck, cut his throat. Why are you worried about his robe? Get this. The robe, especially of a king, meant a lot. And you will find in Scripture 
people taking their robes and laying it on the ground for a king to walk over or ride over. And a robe symbolizes submission. Uh, at one point, I believe it was earlier in Samuel, a robe was torn. That torn robe signified that a kingdom was going to be divided. Jonathan, when, when Jonathan, um, okay, I'm just going to mute a couple more people here just to make sure we've got no other. Okay, make sure you make sure you muted with the exception of, of Mick. Okay, Jonathan, remember when, when, he, when he and David had their final moment and they were, Jonathan was saying, you're going to be the king one day and we're good, we're good, we're, please, let's have a couple of vows here and they had a great goodbye. What did Jonathan do? He gave him his robe. The robe of a king or of the king's heirs meant a big deal. And so David took a portion of Saul's robe. And so the symbol here could very well be he's just kind of taken a portion of his kingdom. That David is now more on the receiving end and Saul is more on the giving end. Saul is losing a bit of his kingdom. And that's, just, that, that's the symbol here. I can't prove that by the text. But I'm wrestling with the fact that David is freaking out. He sees what he did, and he's, his conscience is beating him up on the inside. So, yeah, just like in the Palm Sunday procession, we, the garments are on the ground, the palm, yeah, exactly. I got chat just came in. Exactly. And so David's conscience, we get that his conscience would be going crazy if he, if he, if he drew blood. But he didn't. He cut off a part of the robe. But the robe has a significance. And so we're not surprised when Saul, in terms of a king, is going to start to decrease. And David's going to start to increase. And we continue here, just a word about a robe. A confrontation, verse 8 to 15. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. This is a humble moment for David. David is, is, is on his face. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on, on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of the robe I have in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now you can picture Saul going right, 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 till he looks at his feet and goes, oh, there is a corner missing. My goodness. Wow. See, see that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. So we have here a good question that's come in. Uh, David is from Randia, but David has been anointed too by Samuel. And again, this word anointed means Messiah. So, so we have two Messiahs here in the sense of an anointed uh, ruler or future ruler. 
and Saul anointed by Samuel and David anointed by Samuel. And so the tension we're going to find here is that, yes, he is, go he is going to receive the kingdom. The tension that David's going to find here is that David, we as readers are expecting David to take it by force. Every other king, every other kingdom would have had armies and would have taken everything by force. And for David to say, oh, I'm the anointed ruler, it's mine. God's on my side. The prophet's on my side. The priest is on my side. I'm taking it all in. And I'm, gonna, I'm, going, to take, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to take the kingdom by force. It's mine. But David refuses to do that. At no point does David say, I'm going to take it. He'll say things like, well, if, 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 God, if God will handle his business, I'm going to trust. I'm just going to trust what God's going to do. And, and that's it. So we, it's, it's, it's one of those moments where we expect David to take it by force, but he never does. He lets God handle his business and he just waits upon the Lord. That's why this series is called Wait, because David is in this weird in-between spot where he is the anointed future king, but he's not yet the king. So he'll say things like, if God wants to take care of you, God's going to take care of you, but I'm not going to kill you. My hand's not going to touch you. Whatever God decides to do. In fact, he's a little bit more overt with that in chapter 26. But yeah, it's a great question. And he confronts, he confronts Saul here. And David showed respect. He showed innocence. And he showed loyalty to Saul. And David is motivated by his reverence of God. David is, his motivation is simple. I revere God. I will not touch what belongs to God. And because I love God, I will not do this. I'm not going to do this very thing that even my own people are telling me to do. So what does Saul respond? When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? Kind of a weak, kind of old man kind of moment here. I don't think Saul knows what to say. He's kind of been caught red-handed, and he probably looks pretty bad. And he probably is really embarrassed in front of his men who are all joking probably with themselves. Yeah, they – he was in there going to the bathroom and he was in there, uh, whatever an army might say about his bathroom experience. And he cut off his robe. Oh my goodness. Uh, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good that you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he not let, get, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. See, Saul here is, it's a little bit too little too late, Saul. You're not wrong here, but it's too little too late. Your cards have already been played. And you're not saying wrong things, Saul. Uh, your fact, you're even speaking a little bit better than you know. You're speaking prophetically, but I digress. When a man finds his enemy, does he let, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. See, Jonathan had that moment too. Jonathan and David uh, had this kind of goodbye moment and they were swearing oaths to each other. And the oath that Jonathan wanted was, he, he, Jonathan, the crown prince is saying, David, you're, you're, you're going to be the king and I'm not going to stand in that way and I'm fully behind you, brother. But swear to me. Swear to me an oath that you're not going to kill the rest of the family because the regular way to handle business is to kill off everybody. The new king is going to kill off all the other sons that he can who might have a claim to the throne. And so this is something that David's going to keep. He's going to keep his word here uh, very well. And so 
David gave his oak to Saul. Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Uh, most of Saul's sons are going to be killed by the Philistines. They're going to be killed by the Gibeonites. David does indeed keep his promises. He made a promise to Jonathan and a promise also to Saul. The only surviving relative will be a cripple named Mephibosheth. Who, who's heard of Mephibosheth? That's a, that, that's a fun name. Yeah, Mephibosheth is not much of a threat to David. And David could have just gotten rid of the guy and could have just, just let him go off, go away. And, uh, but instead, you, you can check out. Uh, so do a Google search in your, in your, uh, in, in your Bible app about uh, Mephibosheth and read, read the passages about Mephibosheth. David brings him in and takes good care of him and lets him eat at his table. David goes above and beyond to keep his word. And that's, that's Saul's last surviving heir. And he shows great kindness to him. David in no way directly causes the downfall of Saul or his kingdom. That is huge. David in no way directly causes the downfall of Saul. Now, his very presence doesn't cause any downfall. The fact that Samuel anointed him, no, that's all God's business. David never takes, kind of like in the old People's Court TV show, never take the law into your own hands. Go to the court, People's Court. This is one of those moments where David at no time takes the law into his own hands. David at no time uh, kills people they shouldn't be killing in terms of is the Israelites. And so the way David deals with Saul and Saul's family reveals that once again, he's a man after God's own heart. This is what David keeps his word. And uh, here's another, here's another Psalm from that period, Psalm 142. Check out this. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. God is where David turns for refuge. And the portion, every time you see the word portion, I want you to think of this word, inheritance. You're my inheritance, God. You're that very thing I'm going to pass down to my kids. You're that very thing I'm going to look forward to receiving one day. You are the one I'm longing for. You are my security. That's how David views God. And because David views God that way, he makes decisions. And David made a key choice here. So I got to, you'll see here in the blue. Our situations in life present us opportunities for choices. Our very situations in our life, they present us opportunities for choices. So you come across various situations in your day, in your week, and those are opportunities. Who are you going to be in those moments? Now, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a couple, couple of illustrations here from me. But I want you to think about your own life. You might have a writing utensil here. Think about yourself and what opportunities God's given you. But I, just, I think about my journey with weight loss. And in order to lose weight, there's a lot of great ways to lose weight. Oh, my goodness. I have lost a ton of weight with various diets. Slim fast. South Beach, uh, with some other ones. I did a little bit of Weight Watchers for a time. I, I did all these things. I was, and I, I was like the accordion. I would just shrink down, and then I'd gain it back, and then shrink down and gain it back. Yeah, the whole, you know, parabolic curve there. But, yeah, that, that's it. And so the, there's only one way to not only lose weight, but to keep it off. And that's to take each new day as a new opportunity. Today... And I guess from a medical standpoint, from a basic physics, you know, mathematical standpoint, 
I'm going to take in less calories than I use. And so if I exercise, I'm going to stick to a certain amount of calories. And so that's it. And if you do that, in fact, I found in my weight loss journey, if I stuck to that, if I, if I took each new day as a new day, and okay, I'm going to make decisions today. I'm going to have this new opportunity to make good eating decisions, to make good exercise decisions. If I keep stringing those days along, I'm going to lose weight. And I realize men and women lose weight differently and by and large, and I, it's, I, I never would say I'm blessed to be able to lose weight because I'm just, I'm not a, I don't have a natural talent for it. But yeah, if you consistently do that, at least I found, you'll lose weight. But forget weight loss. Maybe you're struggling with a hurt or a habit or a hang up or you really, let's say it's a sinful habit. I counsel men, young men who really struggle. A couple of men I counsel really struggle with the sin of lust and they really struggle with the habitual sin day after day after day. And, and, I, and I know that sin very well. And, and you just have to take each new day, each new opportunity and make the right decision. And keep making that decision each new opportunity. I'm going to give God glory right here, right here. And see, why do I bring that up? Because that's David. David in that cave has a, an opportunity where even his men are going, opportunity, take him out. You could do it. And if, you, if he could sneak up to him to saw off a portion of his robe, he could sneak up to him to kill him. But he sees that opportunity and made a choice. Our opportunities are there to make, we can make a choice. And it's, it's in, in recovery, we say, you know, we take it one day at a time, one moment at a time. It's like, that's, that's it. Each new day is so many opportunities for you to give God glory. It's either thy will be done or my will be done. And that's the essence of all temptation. What's it going to be? The thing about David here is he exercised his will. But his will was God's will because he wanted what God wanted. And he made his will what he knows what God wanted. And that's the meaning of life right there. If you can figure out what God wants out of you and make that what you want, you won't struggle as much. Because David here doesn't struggle with his decision. He struggles with the, what he decided to do. But he doesn't struggle with the fact that he doesn't kill Saul. Our choices over time communicate who or what is most important to you. I, I tell to the young men I counsel who struggle with the sin I, I briefly described, and, and, and some of them are like, oh, I still struggle with this. And my number one thing about struggling is it, 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 you're, it's not a struggle unless you're actually struggling. It's, it's if you're just, oh, it's just my struggle. No, it's not a struggle unless you're actively struggling and fighting. But I also tell them, um, you know what? You've got, you say you want this to end, but you don't make those choices. After a while, those choices begin to define what you really prioritize. And if you really, really want to lose weight, your choices are going to reflect that. If you really want to give God glory with your day, your choices over time are going to reflect that. And that's where David is here as well. Our choices over time communicate what's most important to you. If it's God, if it's glorifying God, then those choices are going to show themselves. Again, if you paint with a big paintbrush, broad strokes, what does your life look like? Is it a long obedience in the same direction? That's what we're going for here. Your theology should affect your decisions. Yeah, theology matters because what you think matters, what you believe matters, 
but what you believe better influence what you do. Your theology better influence your, your practice. If you believe all these wonderful things about God, that's great. But the book of James tells us the demons do that too. They just don't follow it. Faith without works is, is dead. And so your belief needs to follow in, into acting in that way. And see, that's David here. Because he believes his reverence of God. He believes that God is in control and that God is worthy to be praised, even with these little random decisions in life. And so he's not going to harm the Lord's anointed. And so he's going to honor God even with the everyday decisions. And yeah, theology matters, but it needs to, to turn into your practice. Dot, you might say, I've got a bunch of D words for you. Your doctrine matters, but your doctrine will eventually, in fact, you might say, well, gosh, I really struggle with, with, with growing, in, growing in Christ. I'm just not really seeing myself grow. Okay, here's some D words. You start off by duty, kind of like a yes, sir kind of thing. And you do your duty. Sure. You go to church. You put, them, you, you, you put money in the plate. You sing the songs. You go to the next worship service. You do this. You could join a small group. You go to a class. You, you do your duty again and again and again. It's kind of like a, just you're putting in your time. You're like, you feel like you're clocking in and clocking out. It's just a matter of, okay, I'm just going to be there. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do this. But after a while, that duty turns into devotion. It's like something of your mind all of a sudden takes upon your, your heart. It's like, you know what? I'm going to start to find some devotion here. And I'm going to find, like, I really, really want to be here. That desire is going to be within me. And then after a while, duty is going to lead to devotion. And it's going to lead till, to, to discipline. And yes, uh, fake it till you make it, it came in. Yeah, it's, it's, you would hope duty wouldn't be faking it. But yeah, it could be like that. For some people, they just have to kind of just do their time for a while and they have to show up and uh what was the i forget who it was it was a ty cobb it's like 90 percent of life is just showing up or something like that you just got to get there it's that way for the gym if you just go through those doors when you can go to the gym i can't wait to go back to the gym when you go to the gym you just show up and I'm, well i'm here i might as well work out you know okay great that beats sitting on the couch i have a master's degree in sitting on the couch and uh, we don't need that anymore I, I will never lose weight if i if, if my rear end is planted on the couch your theology should affect your decisions, indeed. Uh, duty, devotion, discipline. I don't know. That's the, Those are words I found in my life. Um, Mick, any thoughts here? Should we test the waters of your audio connection of this uh, first yeah. encounter with uh, David and Saul, chapter 24? Yeah, you know, as I'm listening and, and hearing this and reading these passages, the big thing that comes across to me is, is the incredible faith of David. Um having Saul there in his, in his clutches, if you will, right there. And obviously he, you know, um, he could have done what, what Abraham and Sarah did with, with Hagar, you know, trying to, you know, let's give God a hand that, that kind of reflects a lack of faith in God, you know, and, and, and David didn't do that, you know, and I think to me that, that more so even than, than the story of David and Goliath communicates um, David's faith in God, and a lot of times you see real faith in the arena of, um, of of trusting authority, and and I think this is this is a great example of of David showing his faith in God by trusting in God. I mean, again, it's so easy to take matters into your own hands. I know I wrestle with that very much, and um, and you really have to learn how to trust in God, and 
and and seeing this kind of reminds me that wow god this is something that that i need to do you know that's exactly right and 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 imagine just for one moment here let's let's just let's just play devil's advocate imagine if david sees the opportunity if he listened mm -hmm. to his boys and he said you know what they make a good point I know I've got these feelings about God. I've got these beliefs about God. I know I shouldn't harm the Lord's anointed. I love God too much, but maybe this is a God moment. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe God is, is moving the chess pieces and here he is. And I got to, I got to deal with this. Now imagine David took the law into his own hands. Now imagine David did seize the opportunity in a selfish way. I, I, at that point, I don't think I want to hear about David's faith about, oh, David, I, I trusted in you, or God, I trusted in you. I let you be the one driving the truck here or whatever. I said, you're the one who's in control. You're the one who's guiding things. And then, and then of course, I, I answered the call by, by, by killing him. And he would lose. Um, yeah, a comment came in. Jonathan would be king. He would be at that point. You're right. And that would be kind of an awkward moment there. Uh, but yeah, that's, David's faith would mean less to me as a reader if he seized that opportunity and killed the king, as opposed to he seized the opportunity to give God glory, the most possible glory. Now, all of a sudden, David's faith has teeth. His faith is profound. His faith teaches me that when I face my opportunities, I need to seek what's going to please God the most. Mm -hmm. Boom. It's like, that's how this story teaches us because he didn't take the opportunity that you or I probably would take. And when you're faced with your opportunities and you're forced to say, oh, you know, maybe God's finally given me the answer to the prayer that I've been praying for. Maybe, maybe not. But is this opportunity going to give God the most possible glory? Is it going to break a standard that you're going to hold on to? It would have broken this standard that, uh, that David had. So let's continue to chapter 26. The Ziphites, the Ziphites, everybody has a Ziphite, a favorite Ziphite or two. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, is not David hiding on the hill of Hakilah, which faces Yeshimon? That's a great rhetorical question, I guess. Well, of course. So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops. You'll notice here he's upgraded. These aren't just random able young men who can all carry a sword. He went and got the Navy SEALs. He went and got the, the team. Yeah, he went and got the A team. And he he upgraded. He's like, I'm not, I'm not messing around again. And so he's he he went and got three thousand select Israelite troops to search there for David. David made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakilah facing Yeshimon. Reading all the way to verse 12. Okay. But David stayed in the, Saul made his camp there beside the, the road on the hill. And, but David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he set out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, yeah, his, name is, his name is redundant. A-V, Av, means father. Father, Ner, son of Ner. There you go. The commander of the army had lain down. Saul was, was lying beside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down to the camp with me to Saul? See, David's pursuing Saul this time. 
This isn't, this isn't just Saul running into David, but he's actually going to go down here. I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul. So if you think to him with his, with his robe down around his ankles, covering his feet, as the text says, taking a poo or whatever he's doing in the cave, if you think that is vulnerable, he's asleep here. He, he's, he's, with a spear stuck in the ground, he's lying asleep beside the camp with the spear inside the camp, the spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. A great manly word here. I won't strike him twice. Dang. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So it's like he's saying there, if God lays his hand on the Lord's anointed, that's, that's God's business. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to seize it. Okay? Wow. I'm not going to do it. Now, uh, the Lord forbid that I do this. Uh, let's see. Uh, going to the battle. Now, get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. And this is kind of cool. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. All right. Those of you who are texting, who, who's the first one? Name another time where God put somebody into a deep sleep to accomplish his will. Text it in. Let's see who, see who comes up with the one first. There's a couple times. Hmm. When did God put someone in a deep sleep? And again, I'm going to mute you if you are not muted. So please, uh, please mute yourself if you're not muted already. When? Ah, yes. Rachel, good job. He, he put Adam into a deep sleep. The very first guy. God put Adam into a deep sleep. So God knows how to do this deep sleep. God understands how to make someone to sleep. So God has the, uh, well, let's look at what I put in the, on the, the worksheet here. Saul spies again informed on David, and Saul again took an army. David did some reconnaissance and approached Saul's camp at night. David approached Saul and listened to more opportunistic theological interpretation. Once again, opportunistic theological interpretation. Oh, yes, here it is. God's done this for you. Let's go do it. Boom. And David once again took a stand and made a choice. God played a sleepy role. There's your cheesy pun of the day. So God, God you get the impression that David and Abi, and what was his name here? Abishai could have been loud like uh, my son stamping around the room and they weren't going to wake up. I mean, God, not, God put them all to sleep and they were, they were good to go, but they were soldiers. They probably did their quiet thing very well. And yeah. Um, oh, someone typed in Abraham. Did, a, did God put Abraham in a deep sleep? I can't, I can't recall that right now. It's you're right. I, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I cannot remember Abraham being put into a deep sleep. Okay. We got a confrontation here. Uh, David 
came back with some supplies here. But let's see, let's see how this plays out. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? That's a great opening line. How about a paragraph starting that way? Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? David said, you're a man, aren't you? Oh, David, bring it. David said, you're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard my lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your lord, the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. And Abner is probably going, oh, come on. You know, what, what, what are you playing at, pal? And so David has to, has to say it. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? All of a sudden, that's a great put up or shut up moment. He's probably looking around and going, well, where are they? Well, that's a good point. Saul recognized David's voice and said that line again. Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then, he may, then, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share of the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Yeah, Abner, you had one job as someone texted in. Indeed. And Abner was the toughest guy. He was Saul's chief general, bodyguard, as it were. And um, if anyone's going to protect the king, it'd be that guy. And he didn't do it. In, the, in your text here, the, the worksheet, David chastises Abner, the king's general, for failing to protect his king. Number six, David again brought up the fact, this, uh, the fact of Saul's status before God. Once again, it's he's the anointed. I'm not going to touch you. That's not my business here. But something different here. Um, David, uh, David brings up, um, let's see what you've done is not good. Yeah, no one, no one's going to lay the hand on the Lord's anointed here. And if, if God chooses to do it, that's his own business. And you got to understand here, we're going to look at this next week. David just came through this whole uh, idea with this, this whole uh, time period with, he had an enemy named Nabal. And uh, you, you'll find this in one chapter previous and God killed the guy. It's like God caused the guy to die. And so it, we'll see this in a text next week, you know, foreshadowing here, spoiler alert. So David has already seen an enemy that was his, that through no fault of his own, died. And so God, God took care of that. And God, 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 for some reason, chose to kill an enemy of David. And David did, did not have to raise his hands or do anything. So that, that's on David's mind. Between chapter 24 and 26, he realizes, you know what, God could do that. I've seen it happen before. And so if God's going to do that, God's going to do that, but I'm not going to do that. And my, my trust in God means that God's going to handle his business. I'm going to trust God to handle his business. And I'm not going to presume upon God's business by acting that way. And yeah. So uh, David confronted Saul with the irrationality of his pursuit. David again pled innocence. David is, is innocent here. And he's saying, listen, I don't know. I don't know what I, I've done to wrong you, but 
um, that I don't know what I don't know I don't know what to do here, and so um, that I, I I didn't do anything to intentionally wrong you, and if I have, if if God is doing it, then then help me to help me to understand here what's going on. I, maybe there can be a sacrifice, and the, some of the stuff here in this text we don't really understand this idea of blood being cut off. And if you've got a question, please text it in um, uh, the, the chat feature here and, and, and let me know. Um, but yeah, I, he's in this position with Saul where he's like, I don't know what more you want me to do. I, I, you're chasing me around the countryside and, I, and I, I've gone above and beyond not to harm you. And yet you keep coming after me. In fact, he does a play on words here. It's not something that you might find it interesting. I don't know. Um, the word partridge, this word partridge kind of occurs one time in the Bible here, but he does a word play. He does a pun on Abner's question. So Abner asked, who are you that calls to the king? And the Hebrew word for partridge means one who calls on the mountains. David is calling out to Saul's camp from the mountains. So partridges, or they're also known as calling birds, they were known at the time Whenever a, a fowler or a hunter would tr go find a partridge, it was, it was known to be kind of a relentless creature. That it would you you think you had it, but it would it would get away. You'd have to keep chasing and chasing and chasing. And they wanted the partridge. It's like kind of like eating quail or something. Someone who really wants to have a nice game bird, and so they're going to go above and beyond to get that if you're hunting it. And so the partridge forces the hunter to be very relentless to finally get the prize, and that's the image here. He's like, I'm the one calling and you're pursuing me like a hunter pursuing a partridge. So it's all wrapped up in that image here that we, not natural ancient Hebrew speakers, we don't get. But that's the idea. He's being pursued relentlessly by Saul. He's like, I'm innocent. I don't know what I, don't know what I need to do to tell you, except I could have killed you now a second time and I didn't. Here's the stuff I got from your camp and you're still alive. So what's the deal? He's pleading his innocence here. And Saul's response 21 to 25. Then Saul said, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son. Oh, we know what that means. The last time David was by Saul, where Saul is asking him to come back to, Saul had a spear and tried to pin David into the wall like a little, a little uh, thumbtack in a map or something. Come back. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Sorry, Saul. It's too little too late. There's, there's no way David's going to come back with you. Not a chance. Here's the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. See, David doesn't even deal with it. He, didn't, he doesn't even answer Saul's request. He just moves on. Here it is. You can have your spear back and your water, your water thing. Let one of your boys come over and get it. Uh, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, he says a nice line here. You got to give him that. May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. David went on his way and Saul returned home. This is a mic drop moment. They will never see each other again. It's done. 
the next time Saul comes up into the text in this regard is David's going to hear about Saul's death. That's it. There's no more. This is the final moment between those two. And it kind of has a nice little ending. But, yeah. Humbled again, Saul invites David to return to court life. He promised him safety. And see, this is the thing that I don't get, is Saul talked awful big at the end of chapter 24, making amends and saying, you know, humble, and okay, God's going to be, you're going to be king, and blah, 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 blah. And then just two chapters later, he's going after him again. The first opportunity he has when his informants tell him David's over there, he jumps at it. You see, we all know people that talk a big game, that talk a good game. But you know the first opportunity they get to do that thing that they shouldn't be doing, they do it. May that not be you. If you're David, you're not trusting Saul here. Saul's talking some nice words, but you've heard enough of words. We, we don't want any more words. We want action. And as David's action, David's action in, in faith, not killing him, says a lot more than Saul's platitudes here. And David trusts in God's protection rather than the promises of Saul. Saul blesses David. Go back to verse 10 for one second. What David didn't know and what David didn't know. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die. He will go into battle and perish. That's what's going to happen. He's going to go into battle. He's going to be soundly defeated. And he's evidently he's going to fall on his own spear. But yeah, David's not going to do it. The Philistines are going to largely do it. And then he's going to do it on his own. But yeah, what he doesn't know, David doesn't know, he doesn't know what the end of Saul is going to be like. He just knows that Saul eventually will end. And when he ends, God will usher David in. And even though God has already called his shot by having David be anointed, that's it. He doesn't know anything else. There's things he can control and things he can't control. What he can't control is what's going to happen to Saul. That's in God's hands. What he can control is how he acts right now and how he lives right now. And that, that teaches us, once again, the things you can't control, submit them to God. The things you can control, honor God. And we see that with David in the cave. We see that with David here on the mountains as well. He honored God by not taking the law into his own hands. And that's a big thing. There's a tension there. There's a tension between the things you can't control and the things you can control. Embrace that tension. David embraced that tension in Psalm 31 when he said, but I trust you, God. I say, you are my God and my times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies. It's like our, our lives are in God's hands. God's in control. But on my end, I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to fight you, God. I'm not going to be a bitter pill. I'm, 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 going, to, I'm going to trust you. And verse 23, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Be convinced of God's activity, even if you don't know the specifics. We just, we just hammered this question out in the book of Esther not too long ago. God's at work, even if he doesn't mention himself by name. God's at work. And the prince of Egypt is, look at your life through heaven's eyes. See what God is doing. Watch God at work. Be convinced of God's activity, even if you don't know the specifics. It's like, I'm not going to leave the hand on him. 
the Lord delivered you into my hands today, Saul, but my hands are closed. Instead of grabbing your neck, I grabbed your spear and I went away. It's like, I, my, you've been delivered into my hands, but my hands are not going to strike you. Not happening. Not happening. And be convinced of God's activity if you don't know this. David showed faith here. David's faith said, okay, God, you're in control, and I'm going to honor you. Come what may. Knowing God is at work and is trusted. Knowing God is at work and is trusting he is faithful. What choices will you make? You know God's at work. You've embraced him with your mind. You're trusting he's faithful. Your will, your, your, your emotions, your commitment. So now what? What choices do you make in your life? What's next? What choices do you make? You know God's in control. You know he's faithful. You know he's caring for you. You know he's orchestrating the moments of your life to bring him glory. What's next? What choices do you make? You're in this quarantine season. We're staying at home. A lot of us are just, we're stuck in our homes and, and we're just dealing with life as it is. And, and yeah, what choices do you make? We've already talked about where do you turn. But now, now will you turn, what choice? God's giving you opportunities. What opportunities have you been given? And when those opportunities come, what choices are you making? Are your choices glorifying God or are they more glorifying you? We're not surprised when Jesus says you want to follow after him, you got to deny yourself. That self, the root of all sin, pride, me, my will. It just gets us in trouble again after again. If David was my will be done instead of thy will be done, Saul would be dead twice. One time Saul would be dead with his robe around his ankles probably. But that wasn't David's choice. David chose to glorify God. Mick, anything to close us out with this uh, chapter 26? Oh, my God. I mean, this is such a cool chapter because um, God gives us an opportunity to um, to do this sort of thing. And I was I was looking at my Bible right now, and I was, like, looking at Hebrews 11, 17. We're talking about um, my faith. Abraham was tested to offer up Isaac. Um, long story short, you know, uh, and it was very similar to what we read here in chapter 26, verses 9 through uh, 11. I don't know how God's going to do it. All I know is he's going to do it. Sarah and Abraham failed the test the first time when they decided to try to give God a, a hand in their faith. But the nice thing is that God gives you opportunities to, to take a retest on, on, on faith again and this second time around Abraham does a much better job and I think that that is so cool on God's part that he allows us to do these sort of real tests on of faith and the other thing too you know, having the opportunity to kill Saul once again you know David shows that weakness is not weakness Hello? Yes, sir. Well, we have some of you, um, it's hard trying try to think of how to wrap this up here. And I, I, I got a message saying I didn't scroll down on the I page. Hate my internet. So the scrolled it down here just a bit so you can see the rest of the page here. David has everything that Saul wants. 
and you have people in your life that has had the things that you want, things that you're longing for, things that you wish you had, and you're, you're, you're fighting jealousy and envy, you're, you're, you're fighting all these things. And a lot of you might even identify with King Saul here, where you see the new guy on the block and God's obviously blessed him and stopped blessing you. And so you're tempted to be bitter and you're tempted just to, to withdraw into your emotions and, and you're tempted just to reach out and lash out and try to just, okay, well, if God's going to be with him, well, then I'm going to try to get mine before I can, before I'm dead and just get while the getting is good. David has everything Saul wants. Saul wants an opportunity to kill David and David gets an opportunity twice to kill Saul. Saul is king but he just, he's striving for legitimacy. He, he doesn't act like he's king. He's just, he's striving for an attaboy. He's just longing for legitimacy. David's not even king yet, but he's the one who has all the legitimacy. And so in your life, God's given you opportunities. I pray you give him glory. And I pray you seize those opportunities in a manner and make choices that please God. That's what David gave us an example. And, and, and we know the story of David. Good, goodness gracious, if David would have stayed this kind of David, man, he wouldn't be getting in trouble later on. David later turns into an opportunistic animal and takes advantage of somebody on a rooftop and ends up killing her husband and, and all that kind of weird, crazy, sinful stuff. That David, David turned into an opportunistic. But here, David sees an opportunity to give God glory not to give himself pleasure. And that's how we got to live this life. That's, that's the moves we've got to make, whether we're a stay-at-home quarantine or we're not. That's what David teaches us. Such a cool story. And with that, we'll just bring this to an end. Go ahead and, uh, and, and, and unmute yourself if you like. We, we, are, we are done our lesson tonight. We continue next week. And if you want to say hi to anybody, go, go on ahead. And we are... We're finished for tonight. Next week's going to be a story you may not have heard before, especially if you are not a regular in First Samuel. Uh. It, it, might, it, might, it might get you next week. But otherwise, God bless.